Paul begins in verse 16 this way. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What a statement by Paul. Matter of fact, this question is one that Paul asks repeatedly. Ten times in 1 Corinthians, he begins that question in that way. Do you not know? And it's meant to say to the Corinthians, you should know better. There is a truth that you're not grasping on and you should know better. Do you not know? And of course, what is precipitating this question here, and Paul's actually finally coming to the conclusion of this whole division in the church. We see now through three chapters, as the church at Corinth was dividing selfishly over their favorite apostle. We've seen that again and again over the last several weeks. Do you not know, Paul's emphasizing some staggering truth here, things they should have known. And what they should know is this, that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. Before we get to Paul's main point of why he is making this statement and what he wants them to learn, I think we have to understand a little bit more what the temple is and what it represents and what it means. When God redeemed the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, If you'll remember, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before reaching the promised land. Hopefully that is no one's story here in a couple weeks when the detour happens. Do not wander around that long, please. But before they left on their journey, God had commanded Moses for the nation to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle is a tent-like structure that would be the place of the worship of their God. The purpose of this building, of the tabernacle, was that God would dwell among them and be their God. And they would be his people. The tabernacle served as a constant reminder that God was with them. That God was in their midst. That God was unlike all the other gods in Egypt that they had just served and worshipped and saw. Remember, the gods of Egypt were stone and statues, and they worshipped everything and everything. The sun, Pharaoh, the river, dung beetles, frogs, locusts, the whole nine yards. And all these things, all these gods, they wanted to be served so that they could promise some material blessing to the Israelites in Egypt. And God has saved them from that. All these other gods were there to be served All these other gods were there on the take. But here's the God of Israel coming to his people and say, build me a tent, a tabernacle, so that I can live with you. Our God is different, amen? I'm coming to live with you. I'm coming to tabernacle with you so that you will know that I'm with you as as you journey through the wilderness. Here's here's a picture of the tabernacle in case you... um, don't know exactly what this looks like. If you guys could put it up on the screen. Picture of the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build. It was here that you'd see the nations divided up by the different tribes 
would all camp around the tabernacle as they journeyed in the wilderness. And when God, when God said it was time to move, they moved. And they followed the pillar of fire and the smoke and, and the, the, the cloud. And they would journey. And that's how they knew that it was time to move. And they would pick up the tent, wrap it up, and move to the next place. But you could see that God here was in the middle of the nation. This is what God says in Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's the point. That I may dwell in their midst. And then again in Exodus 29, 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And then in Leviticus 26, verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. The tabernacle was a representation of the presence of God. That God lives with us. And he surrounds us. And he's here with us. After living in the promised land for some time, many, many years later, the king of Israel at the time, King David, wanted to make a permanent structure for God. He didn't want God, God's dwelling place no longer to be in a tent, a tabernacle, but he wanted God to have a building David did not like that his home was better than the tabernacle where God was supposed to dwell. But God did not let David build that temple. But God gave that responsibility to David's son named Solomon. And King Solomon built a magnificent temple for the people to worship God. And it was a thing of beauty. It was not made out of cloth like the tabernacle. It was made out of the finest of wood at the time, cedar wood, very rich, and produces great aroma, satisfying aroma. It was made out of stone and gold and silver and bronze. Here's an here's a image, that, a diagram that shows you a little bit of what this looked like. Solomon's temple. Here's a little cut inside. You can see it's a beautiful structure, a lot much more than the tent that had existed. A thing of beauty. And it was at this scene when it was finally built that King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8 said, we're going to have a dedication and we're going to dedicate this place to God. Finally, what King David wanted all those years is here. And so they had this huge dedication ceremony in front of the temple in Jerusalem. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, we see this magnificent scene. Turn there. 1 Kings chapter 8, we see what happens. Everyone's gathered there, ready to worship God. And as they're dedicating the temple to God, verse 10, when the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's 
temple, the cloud representing the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And because of the cloud entering the temple, the priests were not able to continue ministering. They were overwhelmed by the glory of God. They could not even keep serving. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. And the Lord came and dwelt in this temple that Solomon built for the Lord. And it was there for quite some time, hundreds of years, until after God, through his prophets, Warn the nation and warn the nation that if you do not repent of your sin and turn from your sin, O Judah, you will be judged. You will be expelled from this land. You'll be made slaves and many of you will die. And that's exactly what happened. As the nation fell into idolatry and forgot God, God raised up King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and sent him to Judah as an instrument of judgment And the Babylonian army destroyed the temple. It was a sad day in Judah that day. As many, many people died. The city was destroyed. All because the people failed to see and be reminded that the presence of God is before us. The Lord is filling this temple. And now he has left the temple. The glory has departed We see Ichabod is written on the place. The glory has departed. And God leaves the temple and the temple is destroyed. And it remained destroyed for some time. And the Jews, we just did the book of Daniel, you know, were slaves in Babylon for 70 years. And then they were slaves of Persia. Until King Cyrus of Persia said... Let's send the Jews back home. They're going to rebuild the temple. He even finances it all. And so Ezra, Haggai, go and build the temple again. And some of the Israelites come home and the temple worship resumes. And that temple, that rebuilt temple was the temple that was there in the days of Jesus. This second temple. And let's put up a picture of that. There's a computer-generated image of what the temple would have looked like being rebuilt in the days of Jesus. This temple is known as Herod's temple. Built on the same spot that Abraham offered up Isaac, or was going to until God stopped him. The same spot that the first temple was held. And the tabernacle rested. This holy mountain of God. It was here that Jesus went to worship. It was here that Jesus taught. And here that Jesus healed. And one day, one day Jesus, standing before this temple in John chapter 2, has this incredible statement that he makes. That confounds all the people listening to him. In John chapter 2, this is what John records for us. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Remember, Jesus had just 
turn the water into wine. He's beginning to teach. And now the people are coming to him and saying, what evidence do you have, Jesus, to tell us and show us that you are who you say you are? And Jesus says to them in verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I mean, that's, that's an astounding statement. I mean, let's, let's just put up that picture again. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. This is how it looked like when Jesus made this statement standing there. And then look at verse 20. The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. You see, because in Herod's day, Herod renovated the temple after all those hundreds of years of it being rebuilt. That's why it's called Herod's temple. It took 46 years to rebuild and renovate this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body, John says. When therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remember that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. (laughs) John, many years later, is remembering this event. Oh, he was talking about himself. He was not talking about the physical building. He's talking about his death and resurrection. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Now think about that because this is what it's all about. Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the eternal God, the image of the invisible God, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. The eternal Son of God took on a human body or a temple. And the temple of God went from something that was made from gold and silver and precious stones and cedar wood. And in Jesus' day, lots of marble to flesh and bones and blood. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. He's speaking of the temple of his body. The temple of God. In Jesus' day, he's trying to redirect them. This served as a shadow for me. This was a placeholder until I have come. And once Jesus comes... And once Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected from the dead, that physical building is no longer needed because Christ is that temple. Christ is the priest who offers the sacrifices to God. Christ is the Lamb of God that was once slain. And when Jesus died, at that moment, if you will remember with me, the moment that Jesus died... The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, giving people access to God. A place that was only reserved for the high priest and once a year. God says, we're done with this. 
Because now you don't come to a physical building. You go through my son. Jesus is the temple of God. In human flesh. Wrap your mind around that. What was once a tent and then a building is now found in a person. No wonder Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would bear a title. And you shall call him Emmanuel. Which is what? God with us. Think back to the Israelites camped around that tabernacle. What was to go through their minds as they're camping in the wilderness? God is with us. And here's Jesus walking in Israel among his people. And in his body is literally the living tabernacle, the living temple, God with us. This should remind us of what and how John begins his gospel. And John chapter 1, if you remember this famous verse, this verse was so familiar, we know so well. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, skip down to verse 14. And what does John say The Word did, this Jesus, what Jesus did. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the word dwelt among us in the Greek is literally this. He pitched his tent. What is John drawing allusions to? God came down and entered his tabernacle and lived with his people. He tabernacled with us. How? In the person of Jesus Christ He tabernacled with us. He pitched his tent with us. Amazing. What is John saying? In Jesus, we have the true and better temple. We have the true and better tabernacle. We have the very presence of God among us. Just as Israel in the wilderness, could camp around the tabernacle and say, God lives with us. Just like the Jews living in Jerusalem could go to the Temple Mount and see high on David's hill, our God lives with us. The Jews in Jesus' day who believed in him were then saying the same, our God has tabernacled with us. And he's a person. He's not gold or silver or stone or wood. He is God incarnate. And this temple will never have to be rebuilt. 
This temple will be destroyed. They, they, they crucified him, but he rose again in glory. He is the temple that supersedes all those other temples. He is the temple which all those temples was pointing towards. Once you have the substance, you no longer need the shadows. Now that I'm done with my introduction, <laughs> I'm not kidding. All right. <laughs> Let's go to verse 16. All that was a setup to help you understand what Paul says next. Because remember, do you not know, remember, that you are God's temple? Dan, you just spent most of this sermon telling us that Jesus is the temple of God. Yes, amen, it's true. But because it's true of him, it's also true of us. Let me explain. The you in this verse is not about individual believers. Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians 6, talking about individual personal believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they are the temple of God. Yes. But the context here in verse chapter 3 is about what? It's about the church. It's about the church. The you, do you not know that you is a plural you? About the whole church in Corinth as a whole. What is another name that the scriptures have for the church? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. How can Paul say that you are the temple of God? Because we are the body of Christ. That's how. Just as his physical body, who bore the Holy Spirit's presence in himself, and who he is, the eternal God, was the temple of God walking on earth. Now we, spiritually, together as a church, are the temple of God. Why? Because we're his body. He's the head, we're the body. Paul will later explain that whole analogy later in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. As Jesus was the living, breathing temple of God on earth, tabernacling in human flesh, now the church is collectively, corporately, the temple of God because we are his body. So think about this for a minute. If you were to see the tabernacle in the wilderness, you would see what? God lives there. If you were to go in Jerusalem to see to the Temple Mount and see the beautiful two temples that were built, you would say, God lives there. If you see the church anywhere together, you could say, God lives there there and when I say church for sake of clarity I'm not speaking of this building this building can blow down and we'll still be a church amen, amen. 
The church is not the building. It's not brick and mortar. And that's the point. The temple of God is spiritual in nature. It is organic. It is not man-made. It is created by God, by his grace, for his glory, as he constructs the body together. And he puts us together as a body. Paul says later, some of you are the ears, some of you are the noses, some of you are the hands, some of you are the feet. Right? God is building his body together in this local place. So that when the world sees us gather <laughs> When the, Lord, when the world sees us gather together as the people of God on the Lord's day, the church then, the church, the people of the church, who profess the name of Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins, who are born again by the Spirit of God, it is a proclamation to the world that God lives there with those people because they are his body. They are his temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The church, therefore, is the visible manifestation, the visible representation of the glory of God on earth. Just like the, the pillar of cloud and just like the, the, the fire by night was the visible representation of the of the presence of God in Israel, so is the gathered people of God on the Lord's day, proclaiming a risen Christ. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. Well, of course. How can you have the temple without the Holy Spirit? You can't. It was the Holy Spirit of God that filled the tabernacle and those temples. It is the Holy Spirit of God that filled the body of the Lord Jesus as he was the temple of God on earth. We see this at his baptism. The Father speaks, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And, a spirit, and the Spirit descended as a dove from heaven, anointing Jesus for his public ministry. It was then the Holy Spirit which led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the, of the devil. In Luke chapter 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Of course, the temple of God has the Spirit of God, just like Jesus did. And it is the Holy Spirit that not only filled, filled the temples, not only filled the tabernacle, not only filled the Lord Jesus, but also indwells every believer at their salvation onward for the rest of their lives. How can you be called the temple of God, Christian? Not only are you a part of the body of Christ, but you are also one who has been indwelt by God's Spirit. He lives inside of you and me. And anywhere God's Spirit dwells, in a physical place, is the temple of God. Collectively, us as a church. I, I'm not the church. You're not the church. But guess what? We are the church. Amen? Collectively, we are the body of Christ. You cannot separate any one of us apart from the other and say, that's the church. No. 
That's just as silly as taking off my hands or my feet or my nose and then pointing to my body parts and say, that's Dan. Say, no, that's a part of Dan. But that is not Dan. But all of me together is Dan. All of Christ's people together is the body of Christ. That's the point. The point of the temple, the point of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to have a visual representation of the presence of God. And this is what God has done in us through the gospel and in Jesus Christ. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5. He says to them, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love what Peter writes there. You yourselves are like living stones. Like, just imagine the temple, the, the bricks and the gold and the beams, everything. Each one of us, God is constructing as his church and he's laying stone by stone. We're living stones. Brick by brick, beam by beam. Gold, silver, bronze, being constructed one at a time. And Peter then uses that analogy to say, this is how God is building the church. As living stones to be a new temple, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, which is what we're doing in this room. Amen? Worshiping our Savior. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, So then you, and of course he's speaking here of not just the Jewish people, but he's also speaking to Gentiles. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? All right, Paul, where are you going with this? What's the conclusion to this whole matter, Paul? Like, help us out here. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Who would destroy the temple? Well, the Babylonians. The Romans, because this third temple was destroyed in the year A.D. 70. As the Romans destroyed Jerusalem once and for all. And not one stone was left unturned, as Jesus warned in Matthew 24. As Jerusalem endured a great tribulation. The Babylonians, the Romans would destroy the temple. And here's where Paul's going with this. And anyone who will cause division in Christ's church 
over selfish and prideful reasons. Whoa. Now do you see where he's going with this? Oh, you Corinthians. You Corinthians who are being divided and separated. I belong to Paul. I'm on team Paul. I'm on team Apollos. No, you're not. Christ died for you, not Paul. Christ died for you, not Apollos. Don't you realize, Corinthians, that when you separate yourselves and divide yourselves over sinful reasons, prideful reasons, you are destroying the temple. When you cause division in the church over your sin, you might as well go over to the construction zone, the project that God is doing, and just take a sledgehammer to the building and take brick by brick away. I mean, nobody would think of doing that in their right mind if they understood what they were doing. But when we split a church over our selfish reasons, that's what happens. Now, there are good reasons to separate from a church. There are good reasons to to divide because truth is truth and we must stand for truth over men. But for sinful reasons, prideful reasons, never. And this is what happens. This is what's been happening in Corinth. You are collectively, brick by brick, destroying the temple by separating yourselves into fanboy clubs. What's wrong with you? You guys think you're so smart. You think you're so wise. Remember? That was the other issue we've talked about. Philosophy, human wisdom, superseding the work of the Spirit and the work of the church. Paul says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age... Let him become a fool, that he may become wise. The word there is literally moros. It's where we get our word moron. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a moron, is what Paul says. If you think you're so smart, you must understand that you are foolish and you know nothing so that you can then become smart. Why? Because The foolishness of God, according to men, is wiser than men's wisdom. Paul made that point earlier in chapter 2. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The wisdom of the world, that's what you guys are doing. Playing politics in the church and dividing over these different camps. The wisdom of this world, the philosophy, the human, is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. You want to play those games with God? You think you're outsmarting God? You think you're going to outsmart your way to church division? Guess again. Look at verse 21. What's the action step, Paul? So let no one boast in men. Do not brag or boast or align yourself with Paul or Apollos or Peter. Why? For all things are yours. 
That's so dumb. What you are trying to lay a hold of and a claim to, this brick is Paul's, this brick is Apollos, this brick is Peter, Let's, and we're building the same house? Don't you know that the cinder blocks in a structure don't care which one they belong to? Because they all work together to accomplish the same purpose. They're not individual buildings. It's the same building. What is Paul's is yours who belong to Apollos. And what is Apollos's is those who belong to Paul. Why are you fighting and laying hold of things that are already yours in Jesus Christ? And then he goes on just to list a lot of things, like in case they didn't get it. Whether Paul, verse 22, or Apollos, or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. What are you trying to gain by your division? You're destroying the temple. You're destroying the temple of God. Corinthians. All are yours. And look, why? Verse 23. And you are Christ. You don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to Apollos. You belong to the one who shed his blood for you. That's who you belong to. And Christ is God's. Oh, Corinthians. Corinthians, Corinthians. When are you going to learn? Your selfishness, your prideful, your prideful arrogance. This is not the way God's church ought to conduct itself. Remember what Paul says Jews seek signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's the wisdom that the world needs, but thinks it's foolish. Do not confuse the two. All is yours. You are Christ. Because we belong to the Lord Jesus, we have a vast inheritance of spiritual blessings, brothers and sisters. There ought not need be this division, this selfish arrogance And all of that needs to be crucified. Our flesh needs to be crucified. Divisions in the church which may be spread from gossip. Gossip is a sin which will ruin a church. Bitterness. Being upset towards someone else. Whether justly or unjustly. Crucify your flesh. When you hold grudges, when you hold bitterness, when you hold... Things in your heart that ought not be there. You forget who you belong to. And you forget who all these people belong to. You do yourself a disservice and an injustice. By your arrogance and pride. For all are yours. All are yours. How dumb would it be for my hands to compete with my feet. Or my nose to compete with my mouth. What good does that do me? 
if my body parts are at war with one another? And so is Christ's church. Who are we? Together, we are the temple of God. We are the body of Christ. We are a statement to each other that God lives wherever we go. We are a statement to the world that the one, the one who ended all temples, the one who ended all tabernacles forever and ever and ever tabernacled with us in human flesh. And we're made in his image. And he's redeemed us and transformed us by his Holy Spirit to his glorious nature. May we never forget it. May we never forget it. Oh, God, help us. Help us, God, know who we are. Help us know who we belong to. Thank you for your word, which helps us understand these things. Thank you for the failings of Corinth, which helps so many of us in this day and age apply your eternal truth to all of our hearts. Father, I'm not aware of any division in our church. It may never be so. But God, I pray that if that ever arises, that we would run to this text to remember whose we are and who we belong to. And that there would be repentance granted to those individuals who are seeking harm to destroy the temple of God for selfish and prideful reasons. Lord, sometimes the church needs to be purged and sometimes the church needs to be purified. And we need to call out sin. But God, when it's all driven by me, myself, and I, may never be so. Let us see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, parts of the same building with Christ as our cornerstone. He's the foundation. The truth taught by the apostles and the prophets in your word is our foundation. Oh God, help us. Bless us mightily. Help us to rest in you as we think about all these things that are taking place here in Corinth. And if they ever arise in our church, I pray they will be squashed immediately. For you are building a place for your glory to tell the world that you live among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn together. Um, If you are not a Christian, if you do not know if you will go to be with the Lord if you were to die today, we encourage you, we plead with you to consider the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. And if we place our faith in him alone, that we can be saved, forgiven, renewed, restored, have a right relationship and standing with God by placing our faith and trust in what he has done for us by his grace. 
and that he rose again on the third day. If you'd like to know more about that, if you'd like to have questions, if you're not sure, please see me or somebody after the service so we could help you. And if I could help you with anything, please see me after as well. I love you all. God bless you. Let's sing. Come to Jesus and rest in him.